Hello everyone and welcome to the Avatar Podcast, episode 38. I'll just be handing over the episode to a wonderful array of commentators and outlets who have made their thoughts and feelings and opinions known about Avatar and will also be given a special gift by Cosplay Alida, a beautiful rendition of The Song Chord. Have a lovely rest of your day. And until next time, bye for now. The success of 2009's Avatar heavily influenced the direction of digital filmmaking and distribution. And though the world has changed a lot in the 13 years leading up to this sequel, some things never do. Like how when James Cameron decides to make a sequel, he expands and embellishes the preceding story in surprising, engaging ways. Avatar The Way of Water isn't afraid to be weird as hell, as it doubles down on the naked sentimentality of the first movie, refocuses the plot on more interesting characters, and yes, it has to be said, raises the high watermark for visual effects in film all over again. The Way of Water bridges the long gap between movies with a dense, dense prologue that explains what happened after the resource-hungry humans of the RDA retreated from Pandora at the end of the first film after getting their butts kicked by those big blue kitty cats. Defecting Avatar pilot and now full-time blue kitty cat Jake Sully and Neytiri start a family as the new leaders of the Omatakaya tribe. That family grows to include three biological and two adopted children, and it's the driving force behind Jake and Neytiri's decision to exile themselves after the RDA returned to resume their plundering, led by the practically non-existent General Ardmore. She's in like two scenes and there's another villain. The movie spends more of its time on that one. We'll get to him. These early scenes deliver a lot of exposition, like a lot of it, and breeze over important details about the status quo and the nature of certain relationships important to the movie. At a bladder-busting 190 minutes, whew, the way of water almost always finds time to circle back to reinforce the most crucial plot elements, but it does mean there will be times where you'll be searching for a character's name or their place in the social hierarchy. James Cameron's betting that you'll be too bowled over by what a decade of technological advancement has done for realizing Pandora on screen, and the results speak for themselves. Though we spend some brief time in the forests of the first film, the vast majority of The Way of Water takes place in the territory of the seafaring Metkayina tribe, and the vibrant underwater ecosystem is an even more dreamlike palette for Cameron to work with. Bioluminescent rainbows from the flora in the depths refract through the moving surfaces like the aurora. Sunsets on the wide horizon bounce off the waves and cast the shores in a purple hue. The thoughtfully designed marine life all reinforce the sense that Pandora is a living, breathing world even more effectively than Avatar did. But when the time comes to blow up all that tranquility in favor of blockbuster action, it should come as little surprise that Cameron delivers the goods. Even the most chaotic action sequences are readable, thrillingly paced, and above all, impossible to take your eye off of. An early raid on an RDA cargo shipment features a train derailment that I was just grinning the entire time for. It was like, it was basically the coolest cinematic train crash I've seen since Super 8. It, I was taken aback by how visceral it felt. Cameron's environmentalist interests remain the backbone of the larger Avatar plot, and his heavy employment of familiar character archetypes and story devices feels like a pretty clear message that the Na'vi good guys and military baddies are more important as a collective than individually. 
And if we're talking archetypal characters, we have to talk about Cameron's decision to quite literally revive Stephen Lang's Miles Korich as the Way of Water's primary villain. Korich's hyper-macho drill sergeant persona felt dated back in 2009. It was little more than a vessel for all the worst aspects of Avatar's themes of colonialism. But Lang's scene-chewing enthusiasm always kept the character interested. Korich gets his second chance at revenge thanks to a Na'vi body of his own, and his newfound physical prowess gives him even more swagger than he already had. His personal vendetta doesn't get fleshed out with long monologues about the nature of life or the expectations of a military man. It's made manifest in the simple fact that even given a new lease on life, he's still gunning for the Sullys after all this time. Lang manages to showboat without feeling like a showboat, with all the subtlety of Korich holding his own human skull in grand Hamlet fashion. Though there are some new wrinkles to the character that suggest a little more depth than The Way of Water has time for. Yes, even at three plus hours long. The Way of Water is in no rush to expand the franchise's universe, and after a decade plus of seeing the pros and cons of interconnected storytelling, that actually serves this experience pretty well. Thanks in no small part to a shift in focus to the next generation, The Way of Water has far more room for levity than its self-serious forerunner. Jake and Neytiri's kids bicker and tease. They get into scraps with their new tribe mates, but above all, they stick together. Cameron invests a lot into middle kids Loak and Kiri as the new representatives of the Na'vi's warrior and spiritual leanings, with each struggling to understand their place. Spider, the Sully's adopted human child, doesn't get quite as much time with his siblings because of how the story progresses, but his mix of feral energy and wisecracking attitude help him stand out. He's kind of like Aliens Newt meets the Flintstones Bam Bam. The eldest and youngest Sully children have little to do and get lost in the shuffle, apart from when someone needs to be endangered to keep the plot moving. With the Sully kids taking center stage, Jake and Neytiri's role in the story is proportionally diminished, and that's okay by me. Jake is no more interesting a character than he was last time around, but he does have utility here as a tough father figure for his kids to struggle to live up to. Zoe Saldana's Neytiri feels like the legacy character with the least to do, mostly advocating for her kids to a distracted Jake. The leaders of the Metkayina tribe, played by Cliff Curtis and Kate Winslet, are cut from a very similar cloth to Jake and Neytiri, and often end up feeling redundant as a result. And though the vast majority of the Way of Water's technical gambits do pay off, missteps in that arena are even more glaring. Like some of those panther things from the first movie come back and they don't look as good as the other things in the movie. But specifically, Cameron overplays his hand in how he brings one of Jake and Neytiri's children to life. Kiri, the eldest Sully daughter, is voiced and played in performance capture by Sigourney Weaver and her connection to the late Dr. Grace Augustine is an important story point, but the choice to have Weaver play this younger incarnation is frequently distracting. It's less to do with the idea of an adult playing a child via mocap, and more the fact that, well, it's Sigourney Weaver. Of course, Weaver's game for the attempt, she's Sigourney Weaver, but pitching her voice up and shrinking her Na'vi body down isn't quite enough to bridge the uncanny valley of hearing an icon, an icon in Cameron's own filmography, no less, being transposed into an adolescent. This family is our fortress. Avatar The Way of Water is a thoughtful, sumptuous return to Pandora. One which fleshes out both the mythology established in the first film and the Sully family's place therein. 
It may not be the best sequel James Cameron has ever made, that is an impossibly high bar to clear, but it's easily the clearest improvement on the film that preceded it. The oceans of Pandora see lightning striking in the same place twice, expanding the visual language the franchise has to work with in beautiful fashion. The simple story may leave you crying cliche, but as a vehicle for transporting you to another world, it's good enough to do the job. This is nothing short of a good old-fashioned Cameron blockbuster, full of filmmaking spectacle and heart, and an easy recommendation for anyone looking to escape to another world for a three-hour adventure. Hello everybody, so I just left the cinema and I cried my ass off and I left the cinema with tears but I'm not going to give, of course, any spoilers. So in general my review is, it was perfectly at my expectations, perfectly, it wasn't high, it wasn't low. I think for me it was really amazing movie, visually it was amazing but I'm not talking about the CGI or technology. I'm, I'm literally talking about like James Cameron's uh, directing style it grew grew into a better style of directing from Avatar 1 and from to this movie the directing was so artistic and so beautiful cinematography it just blew my mind I read some reviews about people not liking the characters and not connecting like creating a bond with characters but it's just bullshit for me i loved every character the storytelling and the mm, character writing was so beautiful that i loved every single one of them which i thought i wouldn't like kiri much but i loved kiri at the end of the movie it's just everyone is so beautifully written and Neytiri in this movie is shining for me she's shining and she's becoming the main character it's just so she's so powerful and also other characters it's just so 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 good written but lastly music and the scenario for me uh, music is good because the music is just so similar to Avatar 1 because I think as I talked before they made like a remake and changed just few few ones but there was just one soundtrack I sent in this group and it just touched me so much and they played that song, exact that part in very emotional scene and that killed me, literally. I think this is the best written scenario of James Cameron since years uh, to this day. I think it was really well written because the story was just so smooth and so natural and every line every talking like chat is just so so good it's just so natural and everybody's action is so so natural and real they really felt like okay there is a kind of navi in in universe there is one kind called navi they are real like that's how real it felt like while watching uh, I really think that uh, the scenario writing was similar to Lord of the Rings. I just saw some message about it, I think, um, because it's, I think, like a beginning, like a movie, not beginning, but like a second movie sequel that will follow with Avatar 3. There's no ending specifically, but um, it's just 
not um normal sequel movies sometimes feel so quick like so so rushed but this one was just so slow and smooth just perfectly written and uh when you when you watch avatar 3 and when you have like one two three together it will feel really epic as a whole you know what i mean so i really got the lord of the rings feeling out of this scenario writing my god it just felt so good while watching this movie greatest movie of all time do you agree or disagree everybody's entitled to their own opinion yeah. yeah um i am so torn on this movie people keep asking me, well how was it and i just go i don't know you have to be <laughs> honest with them and you have to say it was fucking awesome it was mind-blowing yeah, i did say like i've never seen anything like that exactly i did say that exactly i, I enjoyed the shit out of it i i i did enjoy parts of it but i the story was this is why i can't understand this movie it was one of the most like incredible things i've ever witnessed effects wise mm. and like oh, yeah. i am fucking here and these mm. things look so good and, like this is incredible yeah why couldn't you spend i don't know 15 minutes and write a story to go along with this no, like no, what no. in you the world it, happened here he'd spent way longer than 15 minutes writing a story he spent like 30 years writing a story. Yeah. And it just feels like a a, a, a big sci-fi book that you'd see on the library at school in 1992. Yeah. That's what mm-hmm. this movie yeah, felt yeah. like. Yeah, I, I can see that. <clears throat> I remember when the first Avatar came out, Derek, you said this as soon as we were done seeing it, you were like, that story, you know, he says he wrote it in like 92 or like right before like Terminator 2 era kind of thing. Yeah. And I remember you saying that would have really whipped ass if he had gotten it out then, but mm-hmm. it's kind of, kind of reeks of like it was supposed to come out back then, story wise. You know, it didn't really yeah. kind of whatever. And it's funny now with this one, I kind of feel that way again, where I'm like, okay, I'm seeing a little bit of '90s James Cameron come out here again, in good ways and bad. You know, it's kind of like, I actually feel yeah. like he actually went further back in time. <laughs> and this felt more like 80s James Cameron. Okay, yeah. Honestly, sure. it felt more like an 80s sci-fi movie yeah, I could to see me that. than a 90s sci-fi movie. Sure. Whereas 90s sci-fi movies were kind of like formulaic. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't you say? Yeah. Oh yeah, 100%. And Avatar kind of followed that formula, the first movie. Mm-hmm. This, yeah. this yeah. movie, didn't follow that formula at all. This movie felt more like of a, a Empire Strikes Back type of story where you're sure. like, I'm in the middle of this shit and I don't even fucking know where we're going. Yeah. You can introduce the most random ass characters at this point. It's all yeah. fucking good. The, the good guys could lose, the bad guys can win. Like yeah. anything can happen. Yeah. The formula's out the window. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. oh, uh, we're best friends with talking whales. Oh, but the whales have their own. Oh, oh the whales yeah. are actually smarter than humans. Oh, okay, yeah, sure. My avatar obsessive shit, I'm gonna say is like half ironic and half the fucking theme park. I went to that theme park land and fucking loved it and yeah. was like, oh yeah, I like that. And the theme park was so fun. I was like, yeah, fuck it. I'm all in on avatar. 
It yeah. just was funny to me. Pretty much from moment one, I was 100% down with this movie. Mm. <laughs> yeah. I think that this movie opened and I was like, okay, weird. All right. Yeah. And then it continued and I was like, it's not what I was expecting. Yeah. And then they like showed a scene about five minutes into the movie where they like light the whole forest on fire and it yeah. looks like they're dropping nukes on all of Pandora. Yeah. And I'm like, this is kind of fucking insane. Yeah. And I found myself just kind of like nodding along with it. Like, all right, all right, fuck it. Yeah, <laughs> fucking, fucking burn all of Pandora. Yeah. Avatar 2, here we go. Yeah. Then they're doing like the great train robbery, like blowing trains up mm -hmm. and the fucking train cars are flipping yeah. off. It's yeah. like mass disaster. This is fucking cool. <laughs> uh, yeah. You know, and then uh, they like bring the bad guy from the first movie back and they like yeah. reanimate him and now he's an avatar and he's like watching a video of himself like, yeah, you must have died. Uh, but if I know anything about you, you're gonna want some vengeance. So number one on your list, probably gonna be a guy named Jake Sully. And I'm like, oh, this is gonna be like uh, fucking one guy hunting another guy down. Like I'm kind of down for three hours of this. Oh, I yeah. almost feel like there is no villain in the first movie because it's like, yeah. Jake Sully is undercover and he's afraid they're going to find out. So yeah. the, the villain yeah. is like his secrets. Mm -hmm. And then at the end, they do find out, but it's like, but there's a bigger villain coming and I'm going to help yeah. you fight him. The, and they kind of shift focus. There's such a, yeah, there's such a non-presence in it. Um, so getting anything in this movie was like, okay, oh, we're like ground level with the villains of this movie and following them more. I'm, oh, thank you. Um, and, uh, so I was in on that part, but the part where, um, yeah, the ge evil general guy was talking to the camera about, you know, explain debriefing Yeah, that reeked. I thought Derek would have written that scene. If he had to write a 90 Sega CD, like our limited run presentation that reeked of something Derek would write where he's going, they don't wait. Us soldiers don't die. We're just gonna regroup in hell. Semper Fi. That just reeked of something you would write and I was cracking up so bad. Rah, that well, just, thank you. Yeah. No, I liked it. James Cameron thinks he's Tolkien and he's literally, people are like, this is Lord of the Rings and he has this attitude of fuck you. If you don't yeah. like it, there's the fucking door. Get the fuck out. Yeah. That is the whole attitude of this movie. Wouldn't yeah. you agree? I would agree. And I feel like you are either in James Cameron's boat or you get the fuck out of the room. Mm -hmm. If yeah. you don't think yeah, Avatar, if you don't think Avatar is one of the greatest cinematic achievements in the history of mankind, yeah. a door. we have nothing else. But to here's discuss. the yeah. thing though. Like he, I think say, okay, last thing is he's operating completely unchecked yeah. and completely yes. unhinged. Yeah. And he's literally spending billions of dollars on this movie. Yeah. And it's just like, what do you, what do you even say? How, how do you even review this as a movie? This is, <laughs> this almost like, he's almost transcending film with this shit. I, he's yeah. just like fucking, he's and, lost it. He's gone. So he's a mad scientist. And, I don't know. And to me, that is what makes it all very entertaining to watch aside from, you know, story or this or that I have a complaint with. I say it on here all the time. I love the stuff where you go, how does this exist? How yeah. Does this get made. And I watch this. I, when I was sitting in the theater on this one, I'm just like, fuck man, this guy, can't, this guy cannot be stopped. Natiri. Yeah. She like cries a lot in this movie, like expresses a lot of pain. Yeah. Sees her village getting destroyed. Yeah. Family relationships, people dying on her and she's crying, holding their bodies. And 
the face when she was crying is really sad, you know? Mm -hmm. And it was, it's a CGI face. Yeah. Right. They, you know, it's like a blue person crying, but it was so expressive. You know, when you watch somebody cry, you like feel their pain. Yeah. Right. You don't right. always feel that when you're watching like a CGI character. Oh, no. Jar Jar Binks starts crying at you know, you're gonna fucking cackle. That yeah. would have been a great scene though, right? In Star Wars. <laughs> I, 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 why do me keep fucking up? Like, <laughs> he's crying because he like, just has emotional problems. I wish there we got that scene. Like, fuck. Anyway. Uh, when she cried, it wasn't laughable. When she cried, it yeah. wasn't no, laughable. It was no, it was heartbreaking. So it really was. Watching this movie, I'm like, oh man, this would be such a sick video game. If I could just like explore this world that way. And like it's gonna be a video. an open world. Is it really? Yeah. Pandora. Yes. Yeah. Oh, Ubisoft showed it at E3 last year. Does it look good? Yeah, it looked fucking awesome. Yeah. And I'm just like give. I'm. I was when that ended. I said. I think I said it on stream. Like, oh, I'm more excited about this than another movie. Because like, that. Let me. I love that world. As I said with the theme park shit. Let me just be in that world and look around. Because that's all. I, I mean, honestly, <laughs> put me in a VR headset and just put yeah. me in that. And I can look around oh, the no. movie. I would be happy with that. He is not playing. This is why I get back to he thinks he's Tolkien. Yeah. He, yeah, yeah, yeah he's yeah. not playing yeah. by movie rules with mm -hmm. this movie. He, not at all. He's playing by book rules. This is book two in a five book series. Yeah. So Sigourney Weaver's character is pregnant. Who's the father? Is there a father? Was this a magical conception? That's going to be explained in book three or four. That'll come back later. <laughs> yeah. um, it's got to be the scene All bear. the stuff with the whale. <laughs> Yeah. All those whaling characters, yeah. none of them died. They were just kind of dispatched. Yeah. They will come back later. I guarantee it. Yeah. Um and it it's very literary. Whaling in on on our planet on Earth happens mostly in that part of the world around Australia and Japan. So to make all the whalers on Pandora speak with an Australian accent yeah. felt very like on the nose. Sure, okay, I can see that. You know, like okay, they're literally Australians yeah. are on all the whalers on all, on Pandora from Australia. Okay, yeah. I think the reason they made um, Jermaine not have that accent was to make you see that oh he's different from these guys. He's yeah, on he's on the I boat. Oh, he's you're on right. The boat, but he's, he's like a he's scientist. He's not part of the crew. And they ask like how do you sleep at night and he's like he doesn't like what they're doing. He's there trying to do research to save the whales, but he can only get close to them by being on the whaling boats. Gotcha, gotcha. Um dude, they spend like an hour fucking up these whales. And they yeah. fuck them up. Dude, I I actually it was like that was kind of when I felt like this is the greatest movie ever made because I was like, <laughs> what other billion dollar movie would just take an hour hunting made up whales? Yeah. Like you really just spent so much time hunting fake ass animals well, yeah. also, for a long time. Yeah, they didn't hold it back. When I'm watching this, I thought like, you, no kid will want to watch this movie for this part alone. Like this is already fucking long, but like this is so fucked what you're doing to these fucking whales and he has a baby whale like crying next to his dead mother and stuff. It's like this is so fucked that like I'm not taking my kids to this movie. No fucking way. Like I know it's PG thirteen, but still it's like I don't think so. You know, you know what though? As a kid, I was really affected by like Bambi's mom dying and stuff. Like that yeah. that made that movie better to I, yeah. I was I was very sad, but 
always had that in my favorite movies as a kid because it was like, oh, it showed me something that was like. I think, yeah, I but know, they didn't so. go to Bambi's brain and start like taking out the Dude, liquids from it and like all this weird should. shit. But I actually think James Cameron made this for kids so that they grow up to be environmentalists. Yes, this, I can this, see this, that. And that, and that is why I- them out of that shit. That is well, why I yeah. think when they actually hunt the whale, they open its mouth, they go inside, they, it's almost cartoonish. It's not too violent. They kind of right. like just drill its brain and they get this goo out of it. And they're like, this stuff stops aging, which is basically like, this is beauty supplies. Yeah. Which is what they actually use whaling stuff for. This is a cosmetic supply, like it's frivolous. And this is what it's all about. And then they just walk away and you're like, you could have told me more about that. But I think to a child, the message is like, yeah, what I witnessed you, what you did to that whale was not worth what you got out of it. Yeah. Point blank, the end, that's the message, move on. And they, yeah, that's true. And they do have, uh, is it Sp I think Spider is with them, right? Yeah. yeah. Spider says in that moment, the only other thing said in that scene is, wait, and then, that's like, I forgot exactly how they worded it. What do you like, do with the rest? Yeah, so you just discard the rest of this whale? Like, like you did that and w yeah, exactly. It's like, and then you just throw the rest away. Like it, it like really just show kids it's the most wasteful fucking awful thing. And yeah, I really do on. think yeah. it was that intended. I think it's intended to be like a Bambi's mom moment for yeah. like a real world like issue. So uh, I could see that. Take your kids uh, or not, but I'm I think, not I think he them. wants your kids to see. Well, that. sorry, James. I think that's James Cameron's intention. I don't fucking think Dude. so. Okay, when your kids grow up and start hunting whales. Yep. Don't seems, don't, don't cry yeah. to James Cameron. Jack the whaler. Yeah, my kids always say fuck the whales. So, you know, they, what, do, they, they just I, say that at home all the time. That's not for me to say they say it too much. But <laughs> let's this, uh, so th this movie becomes Moby Dick. It really does. The guy hunting the whale doesn't die at the end of this movie. He gets his arm chopped off. <laughs> Does the whale die at the end of the movie? I don't think so. The whale's still alive, and that guy's still alive. Remember Moby Dick? The guy didn't have a leg because he lost it fighting a mm. whale, and he spends the rest of his life trying to hunt that whale. Yeah, they just created the new Avatar Four. I Pandora's Moby Avatar Dick. Four Moby what, Moby Dick on Avatar. But then what ends up happening is the teenagers are all friends with one whale, and that whale starts getting hunted mm -hmm. because they hit it with the targeting thing. And that leads into the climax of the movie because the teenagers try to save the whale, and the bad guys abduct the teenagers, and then Jake has to go save his children. Again. Again. And then he saves them. Again. And then they get captured again. Again. And he has to save them again. Again. I could have cut 40 minutes out of this movie. Yeah. You wouldn't even have noticed. When, later on, we'll get to this, I guess, but when Tuke, the youngest daughter, gets kidnapped and hanged up to a railing and then later gets freed and then 30 seconds later is handcuffed again. It's like, what are we fucking doing no, but, here? But I like that part because that it was almost like they acknowledged it to the fucking camera. They did. That happens and she goes, Kimberly, I just got tied up again. <clears throat> that got a legit laugh out of me. <sighs> and it almost, but Sean, it almost struck me as they realized that in editing. And it's like, dude, this part is kind of stupid if we have it all chopped down here back to back. We'll just have her acknowledge it. Okay. I will say the, the scene of the whale attacking everyone and jumping on the boat and fucking yeah. shit up was very satisfying. Whale foo, I love that. Yeah. And them going and just killing the fucking humans is a great feeling. Yeah, get them. One of his sons gets killed. The whole point of the movie is I gotta protect my family. 
And that was sad. That goes out the fucking way. That was really sad. That's what, right. But that's what I'm saying. I didn't expect one of their fucking kids to die in this. Yeah, so, so that, that, shocked that it shocked me too. Boat starts sinking and the guy's like, you, Jake Sully has his family's gonna run away. He's like, you can run, but I'll always be coming after you, Jake. Just remember that. Is that what you want? Anywhere you go, I'll be following you. And Jake Sully goes, you're right. Let's just settle this right now. And they start fighting as the boat is going down. Titanic. Titanic style. Yeah. And his family is trapped in the boat uh, and trying to escape. So it really is like Titanic. Totally. He fights the guy. They're underwater. He pretty. It looks like he fucking like breaks his He chokes him out. He chokes him out underwater and then swims away to safety. But then that guy's son, Spider, like finds him and rescues him. And at the very end of the movie, brings him up to the surface. And so it's like, okay, so the bad guy will live to see another day. I need the Vegeta yeah, storyline. I need too. the yeah. bad guy to turn good. Yes. The general we who need- is now a Navi, he's obsessed with Jake Sully. He's stuck on Pandora. Yeah. I need some human warriors to be like, oh, fuck, a Navi. And they turn on him and he becomes so fucked in the head. Like, wait a second, I'm a badass warrior for that team. My team just turned on me. I feel totally abandoned. And yeah. then he meets Jake Sully and Jake Sully's like, yeah. You kind of want to be a Navi now. And yeah. he joins the Navis, yes. and now they've got the greatest asset. And, and they all team up and fucking take down Carmella. Edie Falco is the final boss! You think you can beat me with your little whores? Exactly. Yeah, take fucking down. Okay, Mr. Commander, I trained you. I can take you down. I'm losing my mind on Pandora. Yes. Fuck yes. We need the Vegeta arc. Johnny was saying. I have I- Furio now as a Navi. Oh, fuck, that would be... And he's got the... He already has the ponytail. Yeah, he has the ponytail. He tried to touch Sean, tails Sean's with Sean's not a Sopranos. I am a Sopranos. What the fuck? Yes, I am. You can get into a mech. <laughs> you go into a mech and go... There's a bee on your fucking hat. So uh, a lot of the teenager part is exploring the aquatic life of Pandora. Yeah. Yeah, and then I, my relationship to this part of the movie is... I... It was the most like, okay, now we're just letting us sit in this other world for a while. So that aspect of me enjoyed it. And then the other aspect of it of, for me was, this is the parody we would have written about Avatar, where it's like, let me talk to this whale. Hello, Mr. Whale, how are you? Like it, that part, I mean, I was laughing, but I also was enjoying just spending time in this place we never would have fucking seen and James Cameron not invented. That to me was like an <laughs> 80s sci-fi movie. Uh, they have like the lion with the thorn stuck in his yeah, paw yeah, type yeah, character. Yeah, yeah. You you know, it's, it's, uh, I'm, yeah. I'm trying, it felt like fucking Jim Henson shit. Where yeah, totally, you, you, yes. You just get That's lost in this crazy mountain and then this giant beast shows up, but you talk to it because you're a kid. Yeah. Oh, nobody understands you. Nobody understands me either. Yeah. We could be friends. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's um, a great comparison, yeah. I definitely was entertained far more than the first one. Is it? Did it elevate my opinion of the Avatar film franchise? No. But they made a more entertaining movie. To me, it's kind of 80s, 90s James Cameron at the beginning, and I'm in. The middle is like a parody of Avatar, but I did enjoy spending time in the world, and the end is 80s, 90s James Cameron again. I was entertained. It's hard to know though if I three seems low and four seems high. I don't know. But you know what? The fact that it exists, like I said, the fact that he could go unchecked and make something as unhinged as this, I'll bump it up to a four. I I will see it again. Mm-hmm. As much as I could make fun of it, I would I'll see it one more time at least. 
that's where I sit. What do you think, Jerry? Okay, I will definitely see this movie again. I feel sorry for Steven Spielberg. Oh yeah, he got that, he's fuck. he's probably embarrassed. Like, he put out the Fableman like two yeah. weeks before Avatar two dropped. Yeah, he got fucked, dude. He must have shit his pants yeah. when he saw the credits roll on this movie. Yep. He's like, fuck. James Cameron is like uh, Orson Welles of our time. He is. Honestly, he's unchecked. You think like Christopher Nolan, well, wow, Christopher Nolan makes the biggest movies. Nobody can tell Christopher Nolan no. I don't know. Different, ja- different level. James Cameron's like Christopher Nolan 40 years ahead mm-hmm. in the game. Um Yeah, it's like it it's it's almost unbelievable to me that this movie exists. I agree with like, that. Like if you honestly, you're like Avatar 2 is out and you can go watch it right now. I still feel like yeah, bullshit. Yeah, yeah, right. I've been hearing about this movie for 14 yeah, years. Yeah, totally. It's out this week. Okay. It's crazy. Uh, Three stars. Mm-hmm. That's, okay. That's what I give it. I did not want this movie to suck. I don't want Avatar to fail. I want it to make its money because I feel like I would much rather see something like this than like Ant-Man and Quantumania totally. or whatever yes. the fuck. You know, like this yeah. to me is like, at least you made this world. Like you did this. It's an original world. It is, and it's like, yeah, like, it's a, it's so impressive visually, five shakers, no question. I'm calling it right now. Uh, Johnny talked about this. I think Derek, maybe you were too. That uh, they're going to do different biomes for every avatar. Oh yeah, hold, yeah. This yeah. is theory, so they they went have. from the forest. They yeah. went to the water. Okay, now what? It's clearly he's just taking. He did the Amazon rainforest. Yeah. Now he's doing whaling in the so water. The, the what desert? are the other environmental problems? Okay, the polar ice caps are melting. Yeah. Oh, we oh, can get ice snobby. They could have like yeah, like Inuit big jackets and the gloves and like you know their tails are for shovels for digging snow. That'd yeah, be cool. We'll have snow ice snobbies. They could go to the desert. What's the the environmental problem in the desert? Too hot. Yeah, drought. That's uh, what I was gonna say. And so my what I wanted to add to that was I think that's gonna be the third one. It's called the seed bearer. They got to bring a seed to the fucking barren desert, and grow a tree or some shit. Mm. Um, Bear that seed. Landfills are getting overfilled. Yeah. We can have trash navies. Trash Avatar. Avatrash. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think we've, I think we've gone too far. Uh, we might just want to call it here, yeah. call it a night. Yeah. So uh, that's Avatar 2, The Way of Water. Yeah. Go see it. Oh, yeah. Go see it. Enjoy it. It's the greatest movie ever made. Three stars. <laughs> thrilled to be moderating this Q&A for this awesome movie here in this awesome IMAX theater. Ladies and gentlemen, we have, I want to make sure I do the order right, we have Stephen Lang, Sam Worthington, and producer John Landau coming down. How you doing, sir? IMAX! (laughs) What's really, and by the way, this is gonna be spoiler free because obviously you guys haven't seen the movie yet, so you do not have to worry about anything being ruined. Wait, wait, people knew the ship sank. (laughs) 
Different, different movie, but true. So funny story about this specific theater. Years ago, for the first Avatar, I was in London and I asked Mr. Cameron, hey, where, when I get back to the States, I want to see Avatar in 3D and IMAX, where should I go? And he said, my favorite theater is the AMC Burbank 16. There you go. Thank you, AMC. And they've been great supporters of of pushing what is possible in the theaters and reminding people of just how special the big screen experience can be. Um, So I saw the movie already, and I really want to know, this is probably my most important question. Um, How did you convince uh, the studio to let you get on a spaceship, fly across the galaxy, and film on Pandora? Because I felt like I was on that planet with you guys when I was watching. Well, what we did, we started out with plans for the spaceship. And uh, they, they just, they bought into it. No, but I think we, that, that's a great, the best compliment we could have. And I think, first of all, it starts with the performances that the cast gave us, that people just believe those performances. And then we challenged Weta FX. Uh, I tell people on the first movie, we needed to be photographic, because you couldn't tell me what was real on Pandora. On this movie, we have so many scenes with live action and CG elements and vice versa and water that everybody knows what it looks like. We need to raise our standard to being photoreal. When you guys, obviously you're about to see it, you'll you'll see. Um, I love the IMAX format. I think it's the best way to see a movie. This theater is phenomenal, but all IMAX theaters are phenomenal. Um, For all three of you, why is it so important for audiences to see the film in IMAX? Because it's immersive, and it's the yeah, it's the best quality to to immerse you in Pandora. I think that's what Jim's always set out to do, is to transport you, um, rather than be a gimmick. He's bringing you into into his dream. Uh, I I agree with that. It's the uh, the at the total uh, experience. Uh, it's uh, it just. Completely immersive. I don't think I can improve on that word, but that's the reason. There's no experience like the IMAX experience when it comes to, you know, really encompassing the uh, uh, the world of Pandora. So it's the way to see it. I also think it's because of how, how IMAX builds their theaters. You look at the theater we're in now. It's it's this seating. You're not obscured by someone in front of you blocking your view for the images that we spend so long to put up on the screen. Uh, I think we can all agree that Hollywood has put out some crap 3D movies. I think I think we can all agree. Um, Avatar and Avatar The Way of Water are not crap. They are phenomenal in 3D. And it, 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 the theatrical, you cannot recreate this at home. I know this is a little bit similar to the IMAX thing, but why is it so important for audiences to see the film in 3D? I'm just trying to take in the compliment that we're not crap, but okay, no. <laughs> But you know what I mean. Like no, I, there was a period where Hollywood really made a mistake with it. But you know, you guys and you know, Mr. Cameron have done something incredible with this. Well, we view 3D differently than a lot of people. We view 3D not as a a world coming out of a window, but as a window into a world where we want the 3D to disappear. We want the screen plane to disappear and help transport you to the world. Jim views 3D as a tool to help guide the audience on where to look. Just like in 2D, a filmmaker might use focus or lighting or movement, 3D is now one of those elements that Jim uses to direct the eye on the narrative storytelling. I'm curious, between the first movie and this movie, how did the cameras and technology change to help you tell the story? Well, first and foremost, (laughs) these guys, when we did performances, instead of wearing a single 
standard definition camera. They had to wear two high definition cameras so that we're recording a higher definition of performance. That starts with the character. Then on our live action side, we upped the ante. We shot with uh, high dynamic range Venice cameras that were customized for the 3D experience. Uh, we shot at 48 frames per second. Um, and the theaters have much better capabilities now than, than they ever had before. And you know, it's worth noting that 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 not every film that's made is is uh, demands or is necessary to either for the IMAX experience or for for the 3D experience. Whereas when Jim conceived of this very world, he conceived of it with 3D and and IMAX in mind. It seems to me, and so you know, it's it's a it's a question of the uh, the resource completely matching the. Um, you know, the product, it seems to me. <laughs> Sam, would you like to add anything? No. <laughs> Where's that sign? <laughs> uh, I am curious, how do you think the sequel actually improves on the first film? Well, look, it's an extension of the first film. I think that's what Jim promised us when he first talked to us about it in uh, you know, 2015, was when I first got a call. And he said, I can expand on the world and not make this a carbon copy of the first one. I can expand on this family. Um, and in doing so, I think I can raise the stakes of everything. Um, and that's what I think he's done. I think he's, he found an emotional through line, which you're about to see, um, that, in, that really ramps everything up. I think Jim's very good at that. You know, he's very good. His track record of sequels, I said, stands by itself. But it's, his sequel's always familiar, but then he pushes it to, a, to this new level. And, um, um, you know, We'll soon see how yeah. that uh, takes to it. And hopefully In no way is it, is, is it an improvement on the first, because I think the first Avatar stands alone. It's still just an excellent movie, but, but I think the world now expands big time in this. And I, and I would venture to say that as the saga continues in Avatar 3 and 4, you'll continue to see the deepening and the expansion of that world. That's just, it's just the way, uh, it's the way he builds his vision, it seems to be. I'm curious for all three of you, which shot in either Avatar movie do you think was the toughest to pull off and why? Wow. Look, I, I think you'll see in this movie, and it's not, not to be a, sh a shot that you think about. Um, there's, there's a scene, and this is just typical of, of the challenge, where Spider, a human character played by Jack Champion, is lamenting his, who his father is. And Kiri, played by Sigourney Weaver, but her character is a Navi, comes up behind him and hugs him and pulls in his chest and you see the chest. She's not really there. And, but when you're looking at it, and this goes back to what I meant about being photoreal, she had to look as photoreal as Spider did. You had to believe her arms pulling around him, squeezing in his, his muscles and stuff. That's a challenge that people wouldn't think when they just watched the movie. They would just accept it. Look, Jim's always pushing it, man. There's a, there's a scene you're about to see where there's a reflection. So I asked Jim literally a couple of days ago, I said, that to me is pretty cool, this reflection, because it's a reflection of a CG character and a reflection of a human character going on. And he said, yeah, I didn't want to make it easy on myself. <laughs> Was there a shot for you? Well, I, th I think just the geography, there's a, there's a kind of a battle royal at the end. And uh, the... Um, 
just the geography of, of the ship was very, very challenging to me. And I remember as we began to work on it, we were, it was just a difficult thing to kind of map out. We didn't know where to plunge in, but finally, you know, you had no alternative but to just kind of start doing it. And we did it so that I, I find that whole sequence of shots to be remarkably uh, shot and edited. I'm curious, this is a little bit geeky, but how long is a day on Pandora as compared to Earth? Well, really, it only took us uh, two weeks to film the movie, so I guess it's 13 right. years divided by two weeks. So, <laughs> <laughs> is, there, is there a difference, though? Look, there is, and Jim would have to explain that there's a whole cycle of, of Jim knows, we had an, an astrophysicist come in and work with us on the orbit of Pandora around Polyphemus and, and, the, and the days. The best is when my mates would come to set, I'd say, go ask Jim about the planet Pandora. And they'd go up and they'd say, oh, can you tell us a bit about the planet Pandora, Jim? He'd go, well, firstly, it's a fucking moon, so it's not a planet. And then it would just keep going and going and going. And my mates would look back at me and go, oh, man, this guy's got so much detail. And that, I think that's, you know, that's what makes Jim work, is that the amount of detail that he's put into everything, the ecosystems, the history, the 10-year the gap between Avatar 1 and, and Avatar Way of Water, it's, it's, it's well thought out and well constructed and all from his head. Uh, I am curious, when did you actually start filming on Avatar The Way of Water? We started filming in, or capturing actually in September of 2017. So that's when we got these guys back and what we did even before that though, we repeated what we did on the first movie. We went to Hawaii for a rehearsal with the cast and a sense memory you know, experience with them and we rehearsed both in the rainforest and in the water. And I, one of the great things we did in Hawaii was we went on perhaps the most Pandoran experience Earth can offer. We went on a night scuba dive to the bottom, 30 feet down, in darkness except for lights shining up. And then out of the abyss came these Pandoran-like creatures, giant manta rays. And they swam over us and they swam around us. And it, we were able to touch them, and, and we had trouble getting Cliff Curtis to come to the surface from that. And, and then in the jungles, when we were out there rehearsing, I saw Stephen Lang doing some fighting with sticks with Jim. And <laughs> I'll tell, tell you a story about that. There were <laughs> We were out in the jungle and we were doing all these activities, learning, you know, stalking and hunting and th gathering and things. And at one point they said, okay, now we're going to go off and we're going to do some basket weaving. And finally, <laughs> finally, as Corch, I kind of put my foot down and I said, I'm not basket weaving. I can't see any, any circumstances under which Corch would go weave a basket myself. So everybody else went basket weaving and I went off and I, I carved a spear for a while, you know. So. I want to tell a story, and Sam, I don't know if you're going to remember this story from the first movie. We went to Hawaii, we were rehearsing in the rainforest, and you know, I'll, I'll admit it, Sam was in a really bad-looking ponytail wig, and uh, he was you know, wearing a little you know, shorts like, a, you know, like they see at loincloth in the movie, and Jam had a little handheld like Sony camera, and all of a sudden there's a guy walking his dog. Do you remember this? And the, and, and the guy... Goes to I Sam. said, what, what, are you, what are you doing? I said, we're making a movie with James Cameron, the guy who did Titanic. And he looked at Jim with the handicam and went, he's gone fucking downhill from there, hasn't he? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that, that is a, that's a crazy story. <laughs> uh, so I'm curious as a fan, how much of Avatar 
two, three, four, five. How much of that have you guys actually filmed? What we've done is, first of all, we've completed all four scripts for, for two, three, four, and five. They've read them. They know where their characters go. They know it informs how they play the, these scenes. We went out and we shot all of movie two. We shot 95% of movie three. We have a little bit that we have to still pick up. And we shot the first act of movie four. And so the plan, from what I understand, and I think Jim has said this, is that you guys have to make sure there's still an audience for Avatar to make sure you can actually finish four and five. Uh, I'm planning on finishing four and five. Uh, uh, there's going to be an audience. We're going to finish those movies. Those, those are stories, I think, really, you've read the scripts. I mean, each movie comes to a, its own emotional resolution, as I said, but movie five really drives it home. Yeah, yeah. I know that people in this audience are definitely curious about the, I know we're here to talk about Way of Water, but I like asking about future things. So what can you tease, if anything, about the third, fourth, and fifth movie in terms of what audiences can look forward to? More of everything. I think one of the great things that we've done and Jim has done in these scripts is each movie is gonna take you to new biomes, but and new cultures. And I think one of the things that Avatar has is this idea of Inate Kamea. I see you. And it's not about seeing you for who you physically are or what you look like. It's about seeing you from the inside. And the idea that we get to introduce new diverse clans that look different than the Omatakaya and send a message that, you know, about a metaphor for our world and accepting people for who they are on the inside and not judging them by who they are on the outside. Uh, Sam, I think you said uh, recently that Jim wrote a script for Avatar 1.5, which takes place obviously between the two films. How did that script and what you learned in that script in inform how you played uh, in Avatar 2 and on? It was the missing gap. That's basically what it was. I, 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 I'm too scared to tell you what's in it in case arrows come out of the dark from the boss. But but it was it did fill in a lot of stuff. It filled it filled in what happened when the when all the sky people left. And it I think Jim wrote it and then realized okay this is just about them being heroic warriors and continuing this battle. And I think it it forced once he wrote it and it's a full script. It was you know many people would have been astonished at the detail in it and how long it took him and many many filmmakers would have took that and said i'm just going to make that he just used it as a bouncing off point to realize well i want to make this story more about family than about being heroes you know and that's what led him to continue the continue where the saga goes franchise plug franchise plug that story is now available on dark horse comics as high ground so go check it out i did not know that uh, Steven, I'm curious, how did you get ready to play the antagonist in this movie versus playing the antagonist in the first film? Well, in, in the first film, uh, the, the mission for me was just to get as big and as powerful physically as I possibly could <laughs> and uh, get into the, that kind of marine headspace that uh, Quartz inhabits, you know? And, and, I, and, and that's what I did. And I just, I just worked out like a demon, and, and <laughs> that's what I did. But however, then, but then coming into this one, the way of water, Quartz, has gone, he, he's changed a bit. He's become reconstituted, and, and uh, the ways of... Of, uh, of water have entered into his into his very DNA, and so he tries. He understands that that the way he went about his business the first time didn't quite work out as intended. So he needs to adapt, 
and he does begin to adapt to the ways of, uh, of Pandora itself. He becomes more, I think, a much more fluid character in his movements. Uh, less, uh, he, he always had moved in kind of straight lines, and he thought in straight lines as well. But now, with that kind of Pandoran influence going on inside him, I think he probably more, he can operate more effectively uh, you know, in that in that environment. So the choices that you know I I made, or or we kind of you set up circumstances as you work. Hurry up, man! They want to see the so, film. So choices can make themselves. Or um, uh, now I lost my train of thought. Watch the movie. He's right. <laughs> uh, I don't know. John, I'm always curious about the editing process because that's where everything comes together. I'm curious. The movie's over three hours. How long was... Wait, the... wait, wait, wait. Two hours and 72 minutes. My, my bad. I apologize. You're right. It is two hours and 72 minutes. But I am curious, what, what was it like in the editing room bringing this beast down to the runtime you had? Did you end up with a lot of deleted scenes? Was it a painful edit to try to get it to this length? You know, it's, it's a painful edit. Be because these guys give us such great performances and when you sit there and you look at the whole you know what you want to create is a, a whole that is greater than the sum of the parts and every scene that we would look at stood out and said that's a great scene that's a great scene and it wasn't until we had enough of the whole picture that we could really look at it and go okay let's chisel here let's chisel here let's preserve this performance and we lost some really great moments but we think we ended up with the right length telling the right story. On that note, I'm gonna agree with what you just said. You guys are about to watch something awesome. And on that note, I really wanna give a huge thank you Stephen Lang, Sam Worthington. And I wanna thank all of you for being people who go to the movie theaters, seeing things on the big screen. Keep doing it, thank you. Naro irai 
Thank you.